Welcome to Food Bites with Sarah Patterson and Kevin Hillier. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Food Bites with Sarah Patterson and Kevin Hillier. <laughs> Why do you sometimes sound like my mother? Uh, oh, really? Oh, Leave no. them up or a very bad Jeff Kennett. Oh, no. I don't want to sound like either of those two people, to be honest. <laughs> um, but, hey, welcome to the program. Uh, another beauty on the way and what a, oh, i got to say, what a terrific guest we have and someone that we all know and love. Absolutely, Kevin. And I thought seeing as in the past we have had the uh, the red wiggle, it's only fitting that we bring in the yellow wiggle this week or the original yellow wiggle, Greg Page. Yes, he's a beauty. Greg has an amazing story to tell. I mean, not only the wiggle story, obviously, but his story about uh, his cardiac arrest, dying, coming back and uh, and the work that he's now doing is just fantastic. Absolutely. And it completely came out of left field. He had no symptoms, no indication whatsoever that he might be a candidate for a heart attack. It's uh, apparently, uh, I haven't seen this, but the doco that's on, uh, I think it's on Netflix or Stan or one of the streaming systems, which is the Wiggles documentary. Um, they actually talked to the the three original Wiggles about when it happened on stage, when he died on stage and how it affected them. I mean, we know how it affected Greg and we're going to find out how he's come back from that, but how it affected the other three, quite uh, quite staggering stuff apparently. Absolutely. And with what Greg is about to share with us, I must admit, I knew so little really in the grand scheme of things when it comes to uh, to CPR and uh, and the importance of doing whatever you can to assist at the scene if uh, someone's uh, struggling. Heart of the Nation is Greg's organisation. He'll talk about that. But turn me on. I'll tell you what to do is what uh, the program is that he's uh, talking about. And our poll this week, I've got to say, this is a lip smack and mouth watering poll. I reckon I know which one you'd go for, too, being the citrusy person you are. It's lemon meringue pie, can you believe, Kevin, up against the humble but uh, very often underrated apple pie. Mm, You're right. Mm. The citrus wins out for me every time. Yeah, I'm an apple kind of girl. But mind you, once you start adding the condiments to apple, oh, the whipped cream and the ice cream and the custard. And the smell of baking cinnamon wafting through the house. Mm. Oh, I feel like Homer Simpson. <laughs> I, think, I think I'm actually drooling. Oh, never mind. Uh, let's get to Greg Page, the yellow wiggle, uh, as we know and love him, and uh, have a chat to him about uh, all things to do with his life at the moment. You're listening to Food Bites with Sarah Patterson and Kevin Hillier. Greg, uh, lovely to have you on the show. Firstly, just uh, inquiring about your own general health, uh, do we find you in good health these days? You do, thanks. Yes, I'm doing really well, thanks. I'm very pleased with uh, how I'm doing after surviving a sudden cardiac arrest. I've bounced back and I'm fighting fit, thank you. And sudden cardiac arrest, uh, Greg, it's an issue that affects so many Australians. How many people does it affect? Look, it's around about 27,000 Australians every year. And the real tragic thing is that only about 5% of people survive. So to be able to go home to your family like I did, it's a rare thing, unfortunately, and we can change that, though. We can really have an impact on increasing survival with more people being able to do CPR and have access to an AED and be confident to use it because they're the two things after you call triple zero. They're the two things that bystanders are able to do whether you're trained or not. And it is a very simple thing to do. Um, 
but I say simple in the terms of being simple physically, emotionally and, you know, in the moment would be quite challenging. However, if you can get over those barriers of, of, um, you know, feeling that, you know, it's a traumatic time, it's a panic time, if you can do something, it is always better than doing nothing. You've mentioned there, Greg, the AED, which uh, is automated external uh, defibrillator, and you've also mentioned there how people sometimes feel uh, reticent. If, if something like this happens in front of you, um, there's a, a certain feeling that, oh, gee whiz, do I get involved? Am I going to be doing more harm than good? But from your point of view, uh, it's better to try than not try at all? Absolutely, yeah. And look, what you've summed up there, I think, is pretty much that that was me before my own event. Number one, you know, am I going to hurt the person? And the answer to that question is no. Anything you do can only help that person because when somebody's not responding and not breathing normally, it only gets worse for that person unless somebody gets involved to do something. And anything is better than nothing. And the same with an AED. You know, as you said, an automated external defibrillator, that first word, automated, is so important for people to understand because once you turn it on, it basically does the work itself. You just need to help it by listening to the instructions and following the instructions that it gives you. It gives you verbal instructions. It speaks to you and becomes the team leader, giving you that confidence to be able to do something and give that person some chance to survive. And what we do find is that when people are able to do CPR, and have access to an AED and use it, survival rates skyrocket, particularly within the first three to five minutes. That's why having these devices available everywhere is so important because within the first three to five minutes, survival rates can be as high as 60 to 70%, not 5%. It's phenomenal. And that's why I'm so passionate about advocating for AEDs to be placed everywhere in the community and for people to understand that you don't need training to use it. And it will give you that, um, like it, it makes all the decisions. You don't have to think, just listen and do what it says and it will take that burden off your shoulders, if you know what I mean. Like So everything you were saying there, Sarah, about people feeling not confident and thinking, am I doing the right thing? If you do what it says, you are definitely doing the right thing and it's so simple to do so. The key message is if ever somebody collapses and they're not responding, call triple zero. So that is if you can't wake them up, call triple zero. If they're not breathing normally or at all, start CPR and use an AED as soon as it becomes available to you because it will be that team leader that takes the weight off your shoulders and you know gives you that guidance that is so important. Greg, one thing that uh, I must admit I'm, I'm guilty of, uh, CPR doesn't actually restart your heart, which is probably something mm. that I, I wasn't aware of. Yeah, and again, I wasn't aware of that too. Um, it's, and I think a lot of people think, you know, we see it in movies, we see it in TV shows, okay. and, it, and it results in somebody resuscitating them. But it's most often not the case. It's actually the AED that restarts the heart. So you can be doing CPR for 15 minutes hoping you're going to resuscitate the patient, and it's most likely not going to happen because you need that AED. In the case of cardiac arrest, it's most often caused by an electrical fault in the heart. So the electrical system that tells the heart how to beat has malfunctioned and it's not working. So we need to restart that electrical system and get it working properly. And the thing that does that is not the CPR, it's the AED, sending a shock to that electrical system and rebooting it, allowing it to start up again and get the person's heart beating on its own so you don't have to do CPR. The role of CPR 
is to push blood around the heart because the heart isn't beating. We need to get it restarted so it can do that on its own. So really, CPR is just buying time until such time as the heart will restart on its own. So it's either going to be through the AED that somebody has at their workplace or at a club or a shopping centre or hopefully near their home, or when the paramedics arrive, but often, unfortunately, paramedics are strapped for time. They can't be everywhere, so they get there in in time when the, the heart is no longer what we call shockable. And so that window of time has disappeared. And that's why in the first three to five minutes, the heart usually is much more likely to be shockable. So having that AED rapidly available will greatly increase survival rates. Hey, Greg, it doesn't seem so long ago that uh, that you made uh, national and international headlines uh, yourself. Um, I can only imagine it was uh, you were quite taken aback what happened to you. How has that necessitated or has it um, lifestyle and, and any dietary changes? <laughs> Yes, it has. <laughs> so um, for 50% for 50 of people that have a cardiac arrest, that's the moment that their heart disease is diagnosed. And that was the case for me. So I didn't know that I had heart disease. All of my risk factors were normal. So normal blood pressure, normal cholesterol, no diabetes, BMI was okay at the time, no family history of heart disease. So I would have walked into my GP practice that morning. They would have ticked me off and said, you're fine. For a 48-year-old male, you're doing well. But I would have dropped dead that night because I had heart disease that's not diagnosed through those GP checks. And that's the case for a lot of people, that they have these conditions or the, the plaque in the heart that's not picked up through the general sort of scanning process at your GP. So because I was fortunate to survive, yes, I've made changes to my diet. You know, I've, I've made sure that I keep the cholesterol down and I am on medication now because the heart disease has been identified. But I guess the scary thing is that I've always considered myself to be fairly fit and healthy because I walk a lot, I do a lot of exercise, and so then to be struck down with a cardiac arrest because of heart disease, it's like, well, man, what have I got to do to stay stay fit and not have this happen again? So I think, you know, generally speaking, I advocate that people need to look after their bodies before they get to that point where they need to be resuscitated because currently the survival rate when you get to that point is so low. So do what you can. Make those lifestyle changes. Eat healthily. Take time out for your mind, your body, and your spirit. Stay spiritually healthy. And I'm, you know, if you're not a spiritual person, that doesn't matter. All that means is look after your mental health, basically. Yeah. So look after your physical body, your mental health, eat well, and exercise. Do what you can while you can. And that's the main message. So what are you like in the kitchen, Greg? Are you a dab hand, uh, you know, around the kitchen? Are you good? Look, I love cooking. I wouldn't say I'm good just because I love cooking. Uh, but look, I love cooking up curries and stir fries, things like that. I, that's my favourite kind of food. Um, I don't get to cook a lot at home. We have four kids living at home and my wife and myself. And one of our kids is vegetarian, so that's a separate meal there. Um Two of the other kids, they're a little bit fussy in their food taste, so there's a couple of other meals there. So it generally requires several meals to be cooked at dinner time, and uh, my wife Vanessa does, does an incredible job at facilitating all the different meals. So I leave the kitchen work to her at the moment, and she's very happy to take that on. Um, but yeah, I do love cooking. Uh, I love those stir fries and those curries and things like that. I, I love a good barbecue as well. You know, a good good bit of steak on the barbie. Uh, but I must say, 
One change that I have made with my diet is a lot less red meat and more white meat. So a lot more chicken I'll be eating these days. I'm I'm not a big seafood person. I must admit. What about uh, post and pre your your heart attack the uh, the the sweet tooth? Did you have one before, and do you still have one now? Yes, yes, I must admit I did have, and I still do have. But oh, I, do, I have I have had to limit that. Um, consumption of sugary foods yep. and chocolate and things like that. And look, I guess to pre-heart attack, uh, I, I had a lot of cheese, so a lot of pizza, lasagna. Like I love baked cheese on the top of mm. potato bake, pasta bake, lasagna. I love that, and I always have. But I have had to cut that out. I've pretty much cut that out. Actually, I don't don't have that sort of. Um, food in my diet anymore. So that's been a big change and I haven't missed it, to be honest. So it is, it is interesting how you think that your, you think that your tastes drive your diet, but they don't necessarily because once you cut something out, you find that there's other things that you eat that you get more enjoyment from. Um, and they take the place of that thing that you thought you felt you really craved or needed or wanted in your diet, but you can do without it for the sake of health. What about coffee, uh, Greg? Does that play a part in everyday life? It, does play a part in my everyday life and I haven't made any adjustments there. Um, yeah, look, I, I think it's like everything, right? So everything in moderation, we have to consider an overall balance in life and, you know, with diet particularly. And I think if we can moderate what we consume, you know, and it's interesting how they teach kids to think about everyday foods or all the time foods and then sometimes foods and then you know, not at all foods kind of thing kind of thing. If we adopt that mentality and we, we think about things, well, this is something I shouldn't be having all the time and we, we consume in moderation, then I think that's the best guide. But we do have to be guided by nutrition and what our bodies need as well. So we have to give, give our bodies what they need to be able to function and get us through the day so that we don't hit that sort of wall at three o'clock and feel like we need a nap. We've got to provide our bodies the energy and sustenance to carry us through the day. But then thinking long term, you know, you know, I think about my joints after all the years and the wiggles jumping around on stage mm. and how they're sort of packing it in now. And it, it is affecting my life. Like I play cricket on the weekends and I still get really sore knees. Um, you know, so look after your joints, look after your body, do everything in moderation. And I guess that's the thing. We have to make sure that we exercise in a way that doesn't make our bodies so sore that we can't do it anymore. We've got to be able to stay fit and healthy in every aspect of what we do. I mean, it was obviously life-changing January 2020. Uh, what, what did it do to your attitude to life, Greg? Uh, look, it, it's changed my life in terms of what I devote my time to now. Yep. So pretty much I'm full-time running uh, Heart of the Nation, which is a charity that I set up, and I, I donate my time to that cause. And that's the biggest change in terms of what I do with my time. My view on life has always been one of optimism and positivity. And to, to, to have survived and be one in 20 to survive, there's such gratitude there. You know, gratitude for the people that actually did what they did to save my life, those responders, um, Steve, Grace, Therese and Kim, but the people that did CPR and used the AED. I think, though... For me, it's really driven that community-minded spirit in wanting to give back and not only thank those people and acknowledge their work, but empower other people now to be able to do the same and feel that they can do what is needed to save a life. Because I'll say it again, it is simple to do. It might be difficult at the time because you're emotionally charged with what's happening in front of you. 
But to know that you've done something, and again, we can't guarantee that doing something is going to result in somebody's life being saved, but to do something is knowing that you've done all that you can to give that person the best chance of surviving. And the more times that we get that happening, the more times we will see people surviving where they otherwise wouldn't because people have been afraid to do something. And I think that's just such a, you know, if I think about, you know, I am a spiritual person and I, I believe in energy. And if we can connect the community with energy like that to empower people and feel good and, and vibrate at a high energy because they feel they can do something positive for somebody else, then I think that's what life is all about. It's about being positive and doing positive things in this life and empowering others with you know, love and compassion to, to move forward and, and do great things. Greg, just a bit of our nostalgia here. A whole generation of, uh, of people would remember you fondly as the Yellow Wiggle. Do you miss <laughs> those days? Oh, look, I do. There's parts of those days that I do miss. Um, they were difficult days at times because you'd be travelling a lot and you'd be overseas away from family and away from the, sort of the roots of your home. But it was a lot of fun. I mean, we had so many good times on stage together and off stage, you know, with the four original Wiggles. And I'm, I'm very blessed in the sense that we still get together sometimes to do shows. We did a show back in December, actually, with the original Wiggles. And it's always such a great, a great time on stage and, and backstage together because we, we relive those times, the glory days of being together. Um, but when we step on stage at these events, the audience now, they're in their 20s or even, even their early 30s in some cases. And the energy in the room is just so positive and it's highly charged with emotion. It's a, it's all about bringing that trip down memory lane to, to people who are in their 20s and 30s. They can revisit their childhood when you know, perhaps things were a lot better for them. You know, they didn't have as many um, you know, stresses in life. And they they reconnect with their younger selves, and, and we do too, and it's just such an, an amazing experience. So I do get the best of both worlds. Uh, I get to be at home a lot more now, but still do that every now and then with the guys that we um, – and we have such a great time on stage. You don't blame all the red cordial and the fairy bread for your heart condition? <laughs> <laughs> no, well, look, there's, there's been a lot of things, I guess, consumed over the years that probably contributed to that, not just, not just the red cordial and the fairy bread. <laughs> the, uh, the impact that, uh, that the Wiggles have made on, uh, on people's lives over the years, that, you, you must scratch your head sometimes and, and just go, wow, with what, what you achieve with that. Yeah, absolutely. I think none of us, when we got together initially, none of us knew what lay ahead. And certainly we probably could not have foreseen most of what happened. I mean, we we foresaw releasing a CD of songs and doing maybe some live shows and hopefully a second follow-up CD, but no way did we envisage what it went on to become. And the fact that it's still going now 30, Mm. what are we now, 33 years down the track, uh, it's pretty amazing. And the fact that Anthony is still there in the blue skivvy, turning up day in, day out, doing what he does, that's a testament to him and his passion for what he started 34 years ago. And really, the, the fact that it's continuing today shows that love and that the, the place that it holds in people's hearts and, and minds throughout the, not just Australia, I guess, but all over the world. I want to finish by talking about uh, the app that uh, Heart of the Nation has, which uh, which is a, is a great thing that people should have on their phones uh, because it re- really is a bit of a, a you know it could it could help save someone's life. It could indeed. Yes, the app shows the location of the nearest AED or the ten nearest. 
to where you happen to be, wherever you are in Australia, but it will only show the ones that are registered to Heart of the Nation. So you need to make sure if you have an AED or you know that there's one nearby, register it with us so it can show up on the app. But it also allows you to alert incidents from within the app. And you can sign up to become a responder and alerter within the app, and there's a verification process that you will need to go through. It's free to do, but it means that if somebody alerts an incident from the app nearby to you, you'll get a notification and you can choose whether or not you want to respond to that. And when you respond, we encourage you to go and get the nearest AED and take it to that person that needs it so they can stay and do CPR, whether they're at home or in a workplace or in a public place, it doesn't matter. If you can go and get that nearest AED and be an AED courier and deliver it to that person that needs it, that could really help save a life. So it, it is a vital app. It's a very important piece of technology that you can download freely from the App Store or from Google Play, and you can sign up to become a responder and an alerter, so you can alert those incidents and get the notifications and choose whether or not you want to respond to them as well. Yeah, good stuff. Good on you, Greg. Keep up the great work, mate. It's a fantastic. Turn me on. I'll tell you what to do. That's the Heart of the Nation February campaign, and we we thank you for your time on Food Bites. Thank you. Thank you, Kevin. Thank you, Sarah. You're listening to Food Bites with Sarah Patterson and Kevin Hillier. Fantastic to catch up with Greg. Heart of the Nation, as he mentioned, is the organisation. Get the app, get it on your phone, and remember, turn me on, I'll tell you what to do. That's the campaign. Very, very important information to take on board because it could be any one of us. It yeah. could be We could be the bystander. We could be the person in trouble. Now, cancer is another thing. We, we introduced you to last week to Carolyn Baker, who's the, uh, the Director of Breast Surgery at St Vincent's Hospital and also the designated surgeon at St Vincent's Breast Screen. We're talking about breast cancer and how cancer affects our lives and some of the effects that it have. One of the things we're talking about is the, the hair and wig salon that's just opened at St Vincent's. Wanted to talk to Carolyn more about that, more about the holistic approach uh, to care uh, for cancer sufferers and, and just get a few more details of uh, what it's all about and how we're going in that fight against breast cancer. So once again, I'd like to introduce you to Carolyn Baker, the uh, Director of Breast Surgery at St Vincent's Hospital. Carolyn, uh, the, the wig and hair wear studio that, uh, that you've just sort of got going, how, how much does is, is that part of it help, uh, just uh, I- impactful in, in making uh, patients feel good about themselves? So... Funnily enough, a number of women, one of the very biggest challenges for them when they're being diagnosed with cancer of any type is the fact that they're going to lose their hair when they have chemotherapy. And look, that's not a given, but many women do. Um, And anything we can do to try and not normalise, but at least provide something that looks a bit more normal for them so that they can feel better about themselves, helps them get through all of this. And our pop, our population at St Vincent's, we have a lot of poor, disenfranchised, asylum seekers, refugees, people who don't have money to purchase something and so are likely to forego it. If we can provide them with a free week or a a free headscarf or turban, whatever is their preference, then that's just something a little bit extra that we can do to help them get through their treatment. Caroline, how important is uh, not just the the medical or the surgical approach, but the the holistic um, approach? Well, we pride ourselves on providing the best that we can across all aspects. And I think it resonates with the patient. 
because we don't want them to feel like they're sausages in a sausage factory, you know. They've got cancer, this is what we're going to do, we're going to cut it out, we're going to give you chemotherapy, we're going to give you radiation. We know that that cancer diagnosis occurs in on top of their normal life. So they've got families, they've got jobs. It's important that we know all of that about them so that we can do the best we can to help in multiple aspects of, of their care. We know that patients who are better supported are likely to be compliant with their treatment and get through it. And so obviously that also translates into an improved survival. The, uh, the financial uh, sort of hurdles that come with treatment, uh, are, are, we getting, are we getting better at managing that? And uh, obviously uh, any benefactors that are out there that want to, you know, put their hand up, I'm sure you're, you're always welcome them through the front doors. Oh, absolutely. Look, I think what has improved is that that conversation happens early. We know that a significant proportion of our patients who need chemotherapy or who need Bigger surgery, say a mastectomy and a reconstruction, are not going to be able to work for you know anywhere from six weeks to six to twelve months. And so, obviously, that's another burden that they carry with them: the worry about how they're going to support themselves, feed their family, etc. So, we always bring that up early. There's excellent resources available for discussion about that on things like the BCNA website. We also have a social social worker dedicated to uh, talking to them about this, uh, and it, it's an important part of the many things that we do early on when someone is diagnosed. Carolyn, are we winning the battle? We are. We are, Kevin. We are definitely winning the battle. I've been doing breast cancer for 25 years, so when I was a registrar, so a training surgeon, if I look back then to how we treat people now, it's been a revolution in all aspects of cancer care. There's no doubt that the survival figures are increasing. So for breast cancer, for instance, the all comers walk in the door, five-year survival figures now are sitting at about 91%. Wow. So that means that, you know, that's a huge improvement from last century, which I can say when I was working, um, you know, where the numbers would have been sitting in around about 80%. And so, I mean, we continue to strive and, you know, the focus now is shifting even more into prevention because, of course, if we can stop people getting cancer or picking it earlier, so better screening, then the impact on people when they're diagnosed is, is diminished. Keep up the great work, Carolyn. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you. My pleasure. Thanks for your help. You're listening to Food Bites with Sarah Patterson and Kevin Hillier. And just a reminder, if you want to donate or you want to volunteer some time or you want to get involved in any way, go to the St Vincent's Hospital website. Please get involved. They'd welcome you with open arms and they've got a landing page for donations. So you can get involved with that there. But now I think, Kevin, it's time to uh, jump to the food poll for the week. It's a beauty. We're putting pie up against pie. It is uh, the good old lemon meringue pie up against the apple pie this week. It's a hard one to split, it must be said. But we'll start with the wonderful Lena Masiti. And she says for her it is apple pie every day of the week. Cherie says a slice of each, please. Laurie Atlas, lemon meringue for him. Sylvana says, look, it's a tough one for me, but mm, I'd have to say both. Fair enough. 
Eri Daniel says, both are fine for me, but it is called the Friday Food Poll, so a decision must be made. Okay, right now for Terry, it's apple pie. Sue says, it really is a very hard choice, but I do love a good lemon meringue pie. Our mate Old Croaky, apple pie served hot or cold with either ice cream, cream or smooth, warm custard. I do loathe a lumpy custard, he says. <laughs> Sandy Crack says uh, there are, these are for different occasions. One is for dessert and the other is for splodging on a partner. Is that meant to be partner or a platter? No, I think partner. Okay. I think it's a weapon. I often splodge things on you, don't I? Yes, Absolutely. Die roll, says apple pie. Merv Hugh says, look, I think I'll just have a beer, thanks. Oh, Merv, fresh aired both of them. Michael Rowland from the ABC, he says, yep, the lemon meringue for him. Glenn Rodder says, bugger off, Paddo. How the hell do you expect me to make a choice out of these two? <laughs> Kathleen says, apple pie with warm custard, hopefully not lumpy, and uh, vanilla bean ice cream. Oh, I love the vanilla bean ice cream. Sue Hosking says, now this is just cruel. It's like picking your favourite child, but... Apple pie by a thin slice of peel. <laughs> I think that's fair enough. Steve Woods says there are two sides to a plate. Now, pass the cream. I think he's saying he'll have both, thanks. Exactly. Lee says apple pie with whipped cream. Mmm. Ross Trimble says lemon meringue. Kathy says I'll have to say apple pie. Lauren says apple pie every time, Pato. I can't stand meringue, no matter what the recipe. And Davin finishes us off by saying, oh, another close one, but if I had to choose, it would be apple pie. And my nana made the best apple pies. And Davin's sister, Kim, concurs with that because she says, yes, my nana made the best apple pies as well. We're going to have a nana off here, but before we get to the nana off, let's get to the voting. Uh, And it is very interesting. Neither, 8%. Both, 20%. Those of you who are doing the math at home, uh, there's 72% left. Apple pie gets 36% of that, which means it's a tie. No way. How long has it been since we had a tie? Have we ever had one? I don't think we ever have, but this one, and it legit because I counted them all up and it is 36% each. We cannot split the apple pie or the lemon meringue, and I think that's a good thing for, for everybody. There you go. It's a um, it's a monumental moment. Uh, this is a first for Food Bites, a tie in the fruit pole. Well, there you go. That's it. That's uh, Food Bites for another week. Hope you enjoyed it. Have apple pie and lemon rank. Go for both of them uh, and enjoy your week. And we'll be back with another terrific guest for you next week. Don't forget, Heart of the Nation is uh, Greg Page's uh, website and organisation. Jump on and have a look around there. And also, if you can, help out the St Vincent's Hospital as well. Thanks for listening. See you, Sarah. <laughs> Big cheers to you. Thanks for listening to Food Bites. Check out our Facebook page for recipes, tips and all the latest news. That's Food Bites with Sarah Patterson and Kevin Hillier.